I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Utah Puck Report. I'm your host, Jay Stevens. Glad to be here. We're here without Gary, and uh, that's totally my fault because I forgot to tell him. Josh, I'm going to blame you. <laughs> One of us should have told him that we were having a podcast today, but uh, we'll get him in next time for sure. Uh, so anyway, it's me, and I've got a very special guest in today. DJ, all right, say it for me. Uh, Yolito. That's not how we've pronounced it for the past 20 years that I've known you. Yeah, I've just kind of gone with Giletto, Gelito, Gelato. Whatever people call me, I just, you you know, just give say, them a thumbs up. Yeah, you're just happy that they're talking to you, and yeah, you're just... Well, it's nice of you. Say it again. So everybody knows how to say it. Uh, Yolito. Yolito. So, is your brother go... Does, is, does he correct people, or does he just... We just let it go. I think we all just kind of let it go now. Um, people say, well, what is that? You know, And I'm like, it's German. They they say, no, it sounds Italian to me. And I'm like, yeah, it does to me too now that you say it. So, <laughs> Giletto it is. <laughs> yeah, all right. Well, um, yeah, forever. How did Hagen pronounce it when you were playing for the Grizzlies? Um, you know, I don't even remember how he pronounced it. He just had a really good uh, announcing voice. And I just remember him doing the D. Yay! And I, yeah. I was pumped by then. <laughs> and then just let it go. Okay. Uh, and then, yeah, that was fun. And then he always said the hometown boy, right? Didn't he say something like that? With yeah, you that was kind of my little nickname that they uh, gave me before I got a penalty, before I, you know, announcing I scored a goal or had an assist. They always threw the hometown boy before it, so it kind of made me feel special. Nice. Well, you've always been special. <laughs> some people say that sometimes it's a good thing and sometimes it's not a good thing but for you it's always been a good thing so for those that don't know dj uh you're a local boy local kid as we said the hometown hero and uh you are one of the few that were able to get out of here and play some pro and then actually play pro here and then go out again and play elsewhere so i want to tell your story i want to get to know like how did you get into hockey and and then we, i want to talk about your dad because your dad was so uh, so much a part of hockey here, and then just such a welcoming person at the Acord. Like your dad was always, you know, you, if you went to the rink and there was nobody there, you went. I, I'd always go around, and I know I'm not the only one until we found your dad just to say hi and talk, because he was just always such a such a presence here in hockey. So we'll talk about that. But tell me, um, when did you start playing hockey? Uh, started skating probably when I was three, and my first organized team when I was five. I was the first one in my family to play hockey. My father never played. He did sh- serve a mission in Chicago, um, and he got kicked out of his mission because he was just going to Blackhawk games. And that's a true story. <laughs> that's so awesome. He fell in love with hockey, left his mission, came back, and uh, you know got me started right away as soon as he you know, had me. Um, and then, yeah, rest is history with that. Kind of got the rink built in the backyard when the winters were cold, and I'd skate, and I kind of grew up not knowing much about um, the game in terms of where to advance, you know, in terms of juniors or college. I had no idea what that was. Right. So. Well, that, and that was the case with a lot of us here. I mean, I, we didn't even know what it was, let alone how to get there, right? Mm-hmm. We just were so new to everything. So you played house league, and then how do you get into – do you just advance to a travel team? Yeah, so I was just playing uh, travel team and house league, and um, eventually I hopped on with the University of Utah to play um, there. I got a full-ride scholarship, like, academically. Yeah. 
And while I was playing there, I was practicing at the A chord where my dad was working, and um, Butch Ott's dad, Steve Ott, saw me practice because at that time, um, sorry, other way around, Steve Ott was playing for the Grizzlies, right. and his dad, Butch, was an agent. And he saw me practicing at the A chord, and uh, you know, he said, have you ever thought of playing in the OHL? And again, I had no idea what that was, and he had to explain it to me. But uh, the Sarnia Sting you know had a spot for me if i wanted to go so i cut my academic scholarship short and uh got on a plane to sarnia wow i had no idea that that's how that happened yeah so i mean okay as a parent i would have a hard time with okay you've got a you've got a full ride to get your college degree and now you're gonna drop out of college basically give up that scholarship and go chase hockey which hadn't been your you know, your avenue at that time. How was your dad at that time? Was he just pumped because he was a hockey fan, or was he... Yeah, they were, they were a little uh, nervous for me, but they were definitely... Both my mom and dad were super pumped for me to go, and uh, yeah, it was an eye-opener for sure going up to Sarnia. You know, coming from Utah, playing on house teams and travel teams and being one of the better players, and then going up to Sarnia and, you know, wearing the number 27, which was probably like the fourth backup goalie's number, right? and uh, playing on a fourth line and being scratched many games yeah um so i only lasted there um probably a month before i got put on waivers and i got picked up by the saginaw spirit okay and so that's kind of what started me to you know play at that level and kind of just grinded so what so did you play high school here yeah i i played for um uh, hunter high school my senior year that was their first organized team but before that we joined with um highland high and riverton high for joined an independent program so right. we got to play against uh, like a utah county independent team and anyway my dad coached me for my senior year and we kind of finally pulled hunter high together to get their first team uh, which was my senior year was your dad the coach he was the coach yeah. awesome cool um i had my brother on the team and um, that year we lost in the semifinals to Roy, but the following two years after I left, my brother took the team um, to the state championship and won it two years in a row. That's so, cool. Yeah. It's just crazy to go from, uh, I mean, to go to the OHL, most guys have to have played a ton of, you know, double A, triple A, whatever. And you're playing, you played some travel, you played junior Grizzlies. I played with, well, back in the day, I played with Team Utah and then the Utah Stars. Oh, yeah. And I don't even think I played Junior Grizzlies. Right, okay. Um, I think that was a little bit past my time. But, um, yeah, going to the OHL, yeah, it was just an eye-opener. The guys just knew how to snap the puck around a lot harder. Yeah. And I, at the time, well, I was you're just... Pl- you're I, playing with draft picks and stuff at that point, right? You're yeah, playing with- I, I was playing with a small two-piece stick, and all these guys had one pieces, and it was just, there was so much that I didn't know. Yeah. But I had to learn quick. But, yeah, I played with, you know, guys like uh, Chris Newberry and Tyler Hanchuk, Aaron Power, um, Michael Haley, who just played on the San Jose Sharks this cup run. Um, There's a lot of guys. And when I got traded to the Spirit, you know, I was playing with guys like Paul Bissonnette and uh, Peter (laughs) Flash. And, yeah, a lot of big names that kind of did a lot. And it was kind of cool to – you know, go back in the day and be like, wow, I, I did that. You know, it wasn't easy, but you know, yeah, I did it. So that's so crazy to me. I, I, so I'm, like I said, we, I've known you forever and I didn't know, like, I guess there was a blackout period for me. Cause you went from, you know, the kid that I played summer league with to all of a sudden playing in the O and I said, Oh, well, I, I just assumed that you had played triple A somewhere else. Cause I mean, man, what a jump from Utah yeah, from the University of Utah Utes uh, to the Sarnia Sting and the OHL, that was my jump. So it was, it was an eye opener. It took a lot of learning and a lot of uh, late night bike rides up there to kind yeah. of get my feet on underneath myself and crack the lineup. Um, and then the following year, kind of got invited to go to Sault Ste. Marie and jumped in with the Greyhounds for their training camp. Shortly after that, sent me down to their junior A program, the Sioux Thunderbirds. Okay. And had a really good year there and finished third in the league in uh, scoring. Um, 
following year went to Omaha in the USHL. And, oh, wow. And played uh, my overage junior year, so I was 20 at that time, with the Omaha Lancers. And then followed that with my first year pro with the Utah Grizzlies with uh, Jason Christie oh, wow. being okay. coach. And that, that's where the pro started. Who who coached you at the University of Utah? Do you remember? Uh, Stan Weiss. Stan Weiss. Yeah. Okay. I was wondering who was there. And then, so that's pretty impressive. I mean, that you've got a, that's a gut check, right? If you're, you go from the U and now you're in the O and now you've got to say, hey, I want to crack lineups. And even though you got sent, you got traded or you got released and then picked up and then sent to junior A over those couple of years, mm-hmm. you, you decided at that point to put in the work, like you said, riding bikes or doing whatever. Because clearly you probably weren't training to be a professional hockey player where you're at the U. Because, I mean, I played at the University of Utah and we skated three times a week and there was zero off-ice training. Right. Yeah, I wasn't doing any type of hockey training that I should have been doing to get to that level. I just, I was just kind of rolling with the punches, and I got on the U. I was happy with it. And then the opportunity presented itself to go to Canada, and I, I jumped on it too. And so, yeah, my, my summers and my off-season workouts were hiking and going fishing. It wasn't the right. plyometrics and yeah. gym workouts that I needed to be doing, but... I started doing that later on in my young 20s when I realized that's what I have to do in order to prepare for next season. Yeah. So when you look back, do you remember how many games you played, um, like with Sarnia, how many many games you got in? I probably only got in like five, five to seven maybe. And then I played just over 20 with Saginaw. So over half of the games, I was, you know, in the press box kind of watching the game. Yeah. But those guys are so good at that age. You know, those are all prospects going to the show. So it was really interesting to watch from up above and watch how the game, you know, actually is supposed to move compared to playing house hockey. Right. You know, at a local rink. We talk about that quite a bit on the show, and I had the talk with uh, Mason Manick. Uh, who's playing in the dub now? And I and I said, what what was it like to go? Well, he he played AAA first, and he played he, his coaches were uh, Adam Foot and Joe Sackick. Right. And I'm like, what's it like to go from being coached here in Utah from Yahoo's like me and his dad, you know, that played at Weber, and you know we ha- had a grasp of hockey, but to and then to go play for a master of hockey, and to all of a sudden be expected to function in a system. So do you think the time of the press box helped you learn a system or helped you with the expectations of what a hockey player should be at that level? Yeah, it definitely helped me see the game better. Um, the part that really threw me off, though, was the fighting. Oh. I, I, I had never trained before to fight. I never knew how to fight on the ice. And so there's several instances, you know, in the OHL where I remember one of my first shifts um, and my first um, game with Sarnia, we played against Windsor in Windsor, and I lined up next to Cam Jansen. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, I was on the wing, and I was, Ugh. you know, I'm I was six three and maybe a buck eighty, and this guy is just towering. Yeah, and he he slashes me right across my skate laces, and he says, "You want to go?" And I I kind of crap my pants, <laughs> and I I didn't go him, but I did. I did skate my 45 seconds out there and I was kind of had my head on a swivel watching him because I knew he was going to kill me. Right. This guy's, you know, tough guy in the NHL. Yeah. And, um, I remember him slashing me across the skate laces (laughs) and I was like, I don't even, welcome to the league. This is okay. This is how it's going to be. Okay. No way. So, I mean, that's your first shift. The first shift of my ever playing in the OHL. And it was, you know, Seven minutes into the first period when I got thrown out there on the fourth line. And, yeah, that's who lines up next to me. And, I, you know, maybe they're trying to be like, hey, go see who that guy is, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and obviously we don't – you don't know then that he's going to be, a, you know, a longtime NHL fighter. Right. But how how big was he? I mean, you were you're, – you're always big. Yeah, I – you know, I – beefed up more when I learned at, learned how to work out and when I started progressing through the you know minor pro but he was bigger than me at the time he was he was probably a little bit shorter than me but just super stocky right. you know this kid was 
been training his whole life yeah, for this. Yeah, because he wanted to be a hockey player and knew that that was an option for him, and you thought you were going to go to the U on an academic scholarship and was, you, you were yeah. getting better at catching bass. Yeah, yeah. trout fishing and stuff. <laughs> I had no idea about the, the game of hockey, really. So, so did, when was your first fight? Did you fight in the O? Um, I think... I don't know if I ever did fight in the O. I never squared off with anyone, if that's what you mean, because okay. I did get in some scruffles near the net and stuff, you know, crashing the net and trying to do what I could to stay in the lineup. Um, but again, fighting for me, I just kind of had to just kind of learn those first couple of years because I didn't really know what I was doing. Yeah. Um, I did get in some better fights when I got moved to the junior A team in uh, Sault Ste. Marie. And kind of learned how to grab a little bit better, but that was never my forte. You know, I was I always wanted to score instead. <laughs> yeah. So did they? When you were playing on these teams, did they tell you what your role was, or did they wait for you to figure out what your role was? Yeah, um, I felt like they kind of waited for me to figure out my role, but I soon realized my role wasn't a goal scorer with some of these teams because there's majority of those players, you know, already had days and months ahead of me in terms of skill and training and so i needed to fall more in that uh rough and tough category it just took me a few years to kind of get my size underneath me and learn how to play a different style instead of a dipsy doodle that i could back home right because you're not gonna you're not gonna toe drag everybody in the o like you can around utah especially at the time right but uh and then you're playing with biz nasty yeah and so do you practice? Do you ever get a chance to practice fighting? Like on during practices, does anybody help you with that? Because that's that's one of those things where that's a tough learning curve if you're not doing it in practice. Yeah. To all of a sudden just have to throw punches with somebody that's trying to knock you out, and if and that have been in, you know, a lot of those guys have been in twenty, thirty, forty fights by the time they get to juniors. Yeah. So tell me about that. Yeah. Um, in Saginaw, I had I got to work with a, f- a few of the guys, but um, you know, like Peter Flash, I think he he plays over in Germany, and uh, Paul Bissonette. Um, they they definitely gave me some pointers here and there on what to do if I was to get in a scruffle. But you know, we had our tough guys on those teams, so really it was avoided f- for me. Like I wasn't expected to fight. Okay, but. It, after that season, kind of, I wouldn't back down if I was asked because I would be confident in knowing that, you know, I can get through this. And uh, you kind of just figure it out along the ways that, you know, sometimes I'm just going to have to drop the mitts and see what happens. Right. So. Just go for it. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, that's that's amazing. I, I had a couple fights in juniors, which goalies don't normally. I still am missing teeth from it. But <laughs> I, uh, I, I remember literally – the next day after my first fight, asking, so what happened? Where, like, I had no clue. I got hit hard. Yeah. It turns out I'm not a good fighter. <laughs> so it turns out that I should just stay in the net and let other people fight for me. But, like, I, I lost that whole day right. of my first fight. I don't remember the lead up. I don't remember what happened. I don't remember how I ended up in a fight. And all I remember is waking up the next day in some town in Canada just being like, where am I and how how did I like my mind just starts from that day I lost it, that's just the weirdest thing and like I said that's a sharp learning curve yeah if you're fighting guys that know how to fight and know how to handle somebody yeah it wasn't it wasn't my uh, area of expertise that's for sure but when I was playing with my first year with the or second year with the Grizzlies I lived with two of the fighters uh, Brandon Tidbull and Brad Haroff oh yeah so um, you know, they they definitely can give good pointers, and they were two of the best, you know, in the ECHL. Brad was a smaller guy. Yeah, he was little. But he would take on anyone. Yeah. And then Tidbull, you know, more of a heavyweight. Yeah. So, you know, I kind of felt protected because I had those two on my side, especially, yeah. you know, underneath the same roof, too. Yeah. <laughs> I remember Brad getting in a fight. I don't know if you were there that year, but we had a fight in practice. Mm-hmm. He's fighting our own guys. Like, yeah. He just... Yeah, you're right. He wouldn't back down to anybody, including guys on his own team. Yeah. Yeah, and that happens, but I think that's it's healthy sometimes, you yeah. know. I know this season with the St. Louis Blues, I know they had fights early on in their right, season. Right. That's true. And then look what happened. So it's not always a bad thing. Right. I remember that video. There was a video circulating of some yeah. fights that was not supposed to get around. Right. So you, uh, you, you play your juniors and. Y- 
and you finish that off, and then you already mentioned that you you signed with the Utah Grizzlies. Mm-hmm. And how did that come about? Did did you reach out to Christy, or did somebody reach out to you? Uh, I don't remember exactly how that whole thing came about. Um, but yeah, Jason Christie was the coach. Um, Chuck Weber was the assistant coach at the time. And um, yeah, I just kind of, I cracked the lineup. I remember the one of the news stations being at the Acord recording training camp and did a little segment on me. And, you know, I was a rookie, so I kind of, I caught a lot of heat. I got shaving cream during the oh, interview yeah. and yeah. I, you know, I kind of got it all shaving cream in the shoes or just all types of stuff. Those guys were hecklers, but um, yeah, I did enough to crack the lineup and kind of played, you know, a fourth line, third line type guy. Sometimes I'd shift into a second PP unit, you know, when the opportunity presented itself. But uh, um, Kanaswich was on the team, which he's now the assistant coach with the Grizzlies. And yeah. so, yeah, definitely learned a lot my first year pro. Um, which led into my second year pro with the Grizzlies. And, yeah, from there I kind of started taking off, and I really felt like I got my feet underneath me, started my body mass index, started kind of leveling out. I wasn't such a beanpole anymore. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Well, and that's – I mean, that makes sense because – I don't know how to phrase this properly or whatever, but basically you went from the you – and you had a couple of years of juniors to kind of start figuring things out where all these other guys, you know, it, it, I'll put it in my terms. When I first got to a junior A team and somebody said, you know what, you've got a lot of potential, but how many games have you played in mm-hmm. your life? How many games have you played? And I'm like, uh, I can tell you exactly how many games I've played because I played for Murray High. Right. <laughs> so I, when my, my first year, my sophomore and junior year, I, I did end up getting a couple months uh, at Shattuck St. Mary's, but besides that, I mean, I've, I've played 40 games total in three and a half years of hockey mm-hmm. or whatever, and then now all of a sudden, same thing, I'm at a junior A camp, and they're like, hey, uh, you could make this team, but you, these guys have played 40 games last season. These guys played 60 games last season. You don't even have that in the entire time you've been playing hockey. So you've got to... There's that point where you've got to kind of grow into the game. You've got to, and then I had never done weight training. I had never, like, we didn't have that at Murray High. Mm-hmm. I mean, the football team did, but the hockey team's a club. So, again, we practiced one day a week and had one game maybe a week or every other week, right? Yeah. And you were in that same boat. And here you are playing with the big boys. You're playing with draft picks. You're playing, and you've got to catch up. So, Quickly, may, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. And I went in at my draft year, 18 years old, you know. So when I went into Sarnia, all these kids are getting ready for draft. I didn't even know what draft was, to be honest with you. I had no clue. And it was my essential draft year too, but I didn't go to the draft or anything like that. I was never drafted. Um, But yeah, those kids had been playing three years of juniors before that, you know, 15, 16 years old. So they, they already had a couple hundred games under their belt where I'm coming in, you know. Yeah, same playing, thing. Playing with the Utah Stars, but, you know, we'd go to Sun Valley or Jackson Hole or Salmon, Idaho. <laughs> yeah. Playing on some outdoor rink, you know, yeah. trying to get fishing in in between games. Right, exactly, yeah. <laughs> so it, de- it definitely was like, man, I need to learn a lot about this. <laughs> <laughs> but so that makes sense that now second year Utah Grizzlies, your first year you did decent, right? Like you're, you earned your spot on the team. You're not there as a as a media ploy or anything like that. You're not there just because you're a local guy. You're there because you earned a spot there. Mm-hmm. But that second year, you really started to blossom and become um, more of a leader. I've got your numbers right here. So first year, you played 48 games. And then you had seven goals, six assists, 13 points, 25 pims. And then your second year... You played 70 games mm-hmm. and had 29 points and 70 pims. Right. So you start, I mean, you really start being more of a pr- producer for the Grizzlies. Yeah, the second year we uh, we struggled uh, more than the first year. So, um, yeah, I, I did get the opportunity to play a little bit more, and I got to play power play a little bit more. Um, I got to play with some good line mates too. Um, and then, yeah, my my penalty minutes increased too so I was more in the mix of things you know um 
gotten a few fights and was able to really understand the game a little bit more. And then going into my uh, third season with the Grizzlies, they had just uh, changed affiliation. So they they had some uh, draft picks coming down, get sent down, and I kind of kind of got bumped out of the mix there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, Jason Christie just told me he's going to probably be releasing me. But uh, my roommate at the time, Brad Haroff, said, you know, I have a sweet place in Oklahoma City that they would love to have you, you know. And it was between Oklahoma City and the Mississippi River Kings. And uh, McClelland was the coach at the time with Mississippi and Doug Sauter in Oklahoma. And I was actually on I-80 driving to that direction. still hadn't decided a team, but I had my bag packed in my truck and... You know, I had about a couple hours before the exit to Oklahoma or stay straight towards Mississippi. And I was on the phone with anyone close to me that I knew trying to get their opinion. Where should I go? Where should I go? And, you know, it wasn't really about the money. I just, I didn't know what's better, Mississippi, Oklahoma, who's going to be better. Right. And kind of my roommate at the time, Brad Haroff, said, oh, you'll love Oklahoma. Go to Oklahoma. And I was like, all right. And so it was, you know, 10 minutes before the exit. And I was like... All right. So what's and the deciding just, factor? Just Brad? Brad's little... Well, the, just the way I just, I just turned the truck. I just decided <laughs> to turn right. As soon as I turned right, I think I called uh, McClelland and told him I'm not going to be coming to Mississippi this year. And, you know, he was bummed, but understood. And then called Oklahoma and said, you know, I'll be there in f- four hours. Yeah. <laughs> so it was kind of a crazy ordeal on I-80. Hadn't decided, but definitely knew I was going to play one of those places. Yeah, I I just kind of remember, because, I mean, obviously, I, I got a ton of games those two years as the e-bug that you were there, because mm-hmm. Jason was one of those guys that was, he was a budget guy, right? So yeah. it, he pulled, he's the first one I ever learned the trick that he, uh, we I don't remember, somebody got hurt, one of the goalies got hurt or he got pulled up or whatever, so he brought me in. And he's just like, hey, we're going to need you for two straight weeks. Are you cool with that? And I'm like, yeah, I'll make that work. So I was there every day for two weeks, all the games, all the practices. And I didn't know until the end of the two weeks that he would add me on game day and then delete me the next morning. And then I'd practice every day. And then so when my paycheck got there, because I got paid 45 bucks or whatever for being there for one game yeah instead of getting the 450 or whatever you're supposed to get right i'm like oh man that was a shrewd trick yeah had no idea that was happening but at the time i don't care and then i ended up staying i don't know if you remember i was there like 14 straight games right and uh that's when i learned how shrewd christy was with the budget and so he would just leave me there because i was cheap and free a lot of times free right yeah and so there was a lot of talk when you left the team that it was, I don't know, there was a lot of, a lot of locals and, you know, I'm, I, I talked to a lot of the, the Grizzlies season ticket holders or whatever, but man, when you left the team, there was, they wanted Christie's head. Yeah. <laughs> and they, a lot of people just thought it was a budget move. A lot of people thought it was whatever we can't in the locker room. We knew it was because of the affiliation because we went from, we were with the Islanders, and then we went to Dallas or da- I don't, I can't Calgary. Remember. I thought Calgary, yeah. yeah. I don't remember. I I just remember at that time we switched, and they they sent more players. Yeah, there was a ton of ton of players in camp, and some players would get cut, and then a new wave of players would come. And I started thinking to myself, man, I you know every day on that whiteboard they'd write the lines, and I started high, and I started dropping down to the second, and to the third, and then yeah. to the fourth, and then. Before you know it, you know, you're just like on this red shirt line where you kind of fill in. Yeah. And then, the, you know, the writing was on the wall pretty soon. But that wasn't because of your play. That was because of demands basically from the parent club saying these guys need to get yeah, minutes. You know, teams have invested money in them and they needed to get minutes. They needed to get better. And, you know, with me not being drafted and, you know, not part of a certain organization, you know, it was easy to just kind of sweep me out the door <laughs> <laughs> yeah but man uh, you i've been through the, I, i've been th- with the organization so this for 19 years my 20th year is coming up where i've e-bugged for this team and i've been in that locker room for a lot of guys coming through and the fan favorites 
Travis Rycroft. Right. Did you play? He was yeah, he, he was yeah. here then. Um, Ryan Kanasiewicz, without a doubt. Greg Lieb was up there. But Rycroft, Kanasiewicz, and then I, I'm going to have to say you. So, again, wh- there was a huge, like, sonic boom when you left that team. Right. That I, I remember people just saying, oh, I'm not even going to buy season tickets anymore. <laughs> Did you know that, that that stuff happened? I didn't. I didn't know that. Um, I know some people were bummed out. Obviously, friends and family of mine were super bummed, but... You know, I just kind of took it as it's a learning curve. I'm going to go play elsewhere and do the best for myself. Um, and I'm sure we'll get into it a little bit later, but I had an opportunity to come back for one final year. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, of course, you know, those leagues like the ECHL, they go through guys so quickly, and it's all due to their, you know, their drafts and their, you know, the budget and everything. I mean, if you look at the team each year, there's a whole new, right. f- whole new faces. So. Four or five guys stay, and that's that's the thing with even this year. We're second second year with the Avalanche, I think, and people are losing their minds because all three goalies from last year are gone, and uh, you just keep a nucleus. You know, like you just keep certain. It, it's just hard in the East Coast League to keep a whole team together and I, I, a lot of fans don't understand that part but a lot of them do well, there are some knowledgeable fans here now yeah um i want to talk about a little bit about how is it being the whole town guy as far as how many friends came out of the woodworks and like what were your ticket requests like was it ridiculous no it actually wasn't too bad there was actually a lot of my friends and stuff that would just come to the games and, and purchase tickets yeah they didn't want to bother me, so they just came to the games. But they were they were crazies for sure. They would be down at the glass pounding on oh. it and shirts off and everything. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so, no, I had a really good fan base. Um, all my friends stayed pretty true. There was none that kind of just tried to be my friend now that I was on the Grizzlies and stuff. So it was kind of kind of nice to have some true friends like that and some that, you know, would just pay for the ticket and pay for parking. Yeah. And, not hassle me hours before the game it's like a same price as going to a movie right you know what it's it it blows me away how many people were like hey i need a ticket can you get me 10 tickets yeah and i'm like just it's five bucks or (laughs) it's eight bucks it's 10 bucks yeah like you'll pay to go to a movie but you won't come to like this is way more fun yeah so yeah some wanted the free tickets but then the you know they'd buy five to ten beers there so it's like how does it uh, <laughs> yeah how does that make sense yeah i guess yeah and that's what one of, one of the things like every once in a while i'll be like i'll hit youngman up i'll be like hey youngman i got i got a buddy that wants to bring his family and i'll be like i'm guaranteeing that if you give me five tickets that they'll drop a couple hundred bucks on beer and sure and, and food yeah and snacks or whatever but so sometimes we balance it out and the mavericks there are so nice too i mean you you can kind of sit wherever you want. You yeah. know, the ushers are really good about letting you sit somewhere as long as it's not taken by someone. So right, buy the upper bowl seat, go sit lower bowl. Right, yeah. We didn't just say that. We're not. A, we're not. <laughs> so don't call me youngman. I know that it's. We're, we're not plugging that, but it can happen. Yeah, yeah. So, tell me about you. You arrive in Oklahoma, and what's that like? Now you're. Is, were you happy that you were there, or did you start going, oh, I wonder if Mississippi would have been better? No, I was, I was super happy. Um, they played out of a really nice uh, arena called the Ford Center. Yeah. Um, the, what was it? The Seattle Supersonics. I ended up getting moved to Oklahoma for the Oklahoma Thunder. Anyway, they shared the same building, so the basketball team actually played out of there for a bit. And um, so super nice facility, super nice locker room, you know, cowboy country. Coach had big handlebars. His name's Doug Sauter. Lives on a ranch with Clydesdales and everything. Nice. Um, great group of guys there too. Definitely met some longtime friends. Um, and yeah, Central League, ECHL. I get. I would say you know some of the top Central League teams are very comparable to the East Coast League teams. Yeah, definitely. Then for sure. So it was. Uh, it was great. Definitely got my minutes in in me there played you know first line and got first power play definitely logged in a lot of minutes and did really well had uh two 25 goal seasons and um you know was able to make a name for myself in that league and you know just kind of opened up the doors to do more after that right uh i remember uh jumping i can't remember if it was online or somehow but i got to watch like your first couple games there 
on TV. And I just remember those uniforms were just crazy. Like yeah. old, old, uh, what was it, the Ottawa 76ers that wore the red, the, the, the vertical stripes. Right. Or no, the, the horizontal stripes. Yeah. And you guys were just decked out. I mean, those were crazy. Yeah, they, they had a great fan base there too. Um, the Blazer community is really tight and stuff. And I still talk to a lot of them, you know, through social media. And, oh, really? And stuff. The, the, Blazer, the Blazer fan base. They take care of you so well too. Um, but yeah, I, I probably would have stayed there a lot longer if after the second year they, they ended up folding. Um, so they, you know, just stopped completely, didn't have a team anymore. And so I had to, had to make a move. I had to go somewhere it wasn't coming back home. So Alfie, uh, Michaud who played with the Grizzlies, the goalie. Yeah, I remember Alfie. Yeah. He, he was the one that said, you know, Ulito, isn't that German? And I was like, well, m- most people think it's Italian, but <laughs> <Yeah>. sure. <laughs> but he said, you know, you should try and go play in Germany. And again, I was like, what? You know, hockey in Germany? What are you talking about? You know, so he kind of gave me the rundown that I should get my dual passport. Yeah. Go play over in Germany. And he had a friend over there, Craig Strew, who was a coach that wanted me on the team. And yeah, went to the L.A. consulate and got my uh, German pass, took in, you know, birth certificates and death certi- certificates and got my German pass and next year I was on a plane to Germany. So you're a dual <laughs> citizen now for so, Germany? Yeah, so I, I have a German passport and American passport. So What in your, what, okay, what in your heritage, how far <laughs> back does it have to go for you to be a dual citizen? I think just your grandparents have to be full of something. So my grandparents were full of German. My my grandparents are full of something, but uh, that's crazy. Yeah. I hadn't, I didn't know that you had done that. So your grandparents are German, so now you're... So, yeah, my dad's parents are both from Germany. Okay. And then they moved over here, and um, so that made my dad 50% or 100% German. And so it makes me 50% German, and I guess that's enough to get your, your pass. Wow. And... Um, so yeah, it was kind of weird because anytime I'd fly, if I'd fly to Germany, I would just use my German pass, so I can you know don't have to go through the the non import right, <laughs> line right. that takes forever, and then coming back, I'd just use my American pass, um, and then when I, when I was over there just traveling to different countries, I'd usually use my German pass because it's just easier to get in and out of places. Right. Um, Going to like Africa and Turkey and all those places. If you showed your American pass, you you know you gotten a little scuffle sometimes. Right, 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 right. <laughs> Nobody loves Americans anymore. Man, that's uh. So you're in Hanover. Yep. And uh, man, I didn't know the citizenship part. I'm just blown away by that. That's so cool. And and for for some people may not know, but there's an import limit on these teams. And mm-hmm. now you've now you're not an import. Now you're naturalized or local or whatever they call it yeah so you don't count against their imports because typically a lot of these teams would be what was the import rule there Do you it know? Was, we had six okay so six imports you know you'd be from russia canada america it doesn't matter um you could have six per team and the rest were you know ger- you had to be german yeah so i counted as a german even though i didn't know how to speak german yeah and i had no clue what germany was like so wow. Some fans definitely gave me grief for that because DJ stands for Dirk Joachim. That's my real name, and that's a to- that's such a German name, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and so they were saying your name's Dirk, and you don't know how to speak German. And I was like <laughs> nine. <laughs> you show them, you'll say nine. Yeah. Um. All right, and it's funny because uh, you know Andy Murray, the coach. That uh, he coached the LA Kings, and he's I think he's coaching Michigan State or Western Michigan or whatever. His son Brady Murray played at North Dakota, and I think Andy had married a Swede, or yeah, I think I want to say a Swede. So anyway, Brady's mom was Swedish, and he was drafted by the LA Kings, and it wasn't working out for him. And then all of a sudden, he was a Swede, and he went over and same thing. He played like ten years in Sweden as a Swede. And made you know tons of money over there. They were paying a ton at the time, but yeah, I just thought, man, you played for Team USA. Like he played in the World Juniors for Team USA, and he was American right up until he ran out of options in America, and then all of a sudden, 
you switch you get to switch passports right because of that heritage and that's i mean that's good it's a good way to to make the money yeah no it was it was keep chasing the game that was definitely my most interesting experience over there living in a foreign country you know not knowing the language um but also being a citizen so i remember i remember going to the they provided you with a brand new car too so you go to the dealership and well their all their cars are manual I had never driven a manual in my life. And you got to drive with your left hand, and right? Is it on no, the no. Germany's the normal way, oh. or what we're used to. Shows what I know. <laughs> yeah. But I didn't know how to drive a manual, and my they have these cars lined up, and you, the license plate's like a personalized plate with your number on it and stuff. <laughs> oh no! So I hop in my car, and you know, there's six or seven teammates ahead of me that start going and i don't know how to drive a manual i've never driven a manual <laughs> and so that car's just going don't 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 no, back uh, and forth back and forth and i can see the people at the car dealership looking at me like starting to cringe oh boy <laughs> <laughs> i mustered my way out of there and got to uh got to the gas station again just me just not knowing like got out of the car to fill up car starts rolling because i didn't <laughs> slam it slam the e-brake e-brake on it so i went and pinned my back foot behind the tire oh man <laughs> and just like holding it yeah. and had to run back in and slam on the e-brake i mean that's just one of many stories that i had trying <laughs> to like oh man where am i and how, how do i get through this <laughs> that's crazy that you didn't know how to drive a stick <laughs> but yeah i mean a lot of kids don't know yeah if you haven't been so i've told this story before and i don't think i've told it on the show but it's just what you're exposed to, right? So yeah. uh, in the fire department, one time I got put into, I, I became a day worker. I was the public information officer for the fire department. And with that comes a vehicle. And of course, with government work, you get the like AM, FM radio, roll down window, like, you know, nothing's manual on it. So I picked my son up from school and he he's like, ah, he's wanting to roll down the window. And I'm like, okay, just roll it down. And he's looking for the button. And I'm like, no, you just, you roll it down. I don't know how to explain it different. Just roll it. And so he grabs the handle. He's trying to push the handle like it's a button. And then he grabs the knob on the roll down thing and just starts rolling the knob because <laughs> he thinks that's going to roll it down. I'm like, all right, this makes sense. He's never seen how to roll down a window before. It's always been push buttons. So I had right. to, but it's the same thing, man. If you've never seen a manual, then you've never driven a manual. Yeah. You've got to be taught. Yeah. Over there, they just have so many things to where you just got to live and learn. I mean, going into the grocery store, they don't bag your your groceries. So you go through this little supermarket and it's these grocery stores are tiny, you know, and their fridges are tiny over there. You kind of buy for the week. You, oh, don't, yeah. buy, you don't buy go for buy months. Daily, yeah. yeah, I go buy daily. So I, it was my first time. And I just, I needed a bunch of staple items. So I was, I had a big basket full of stuff and I put it on the little conveyor belt thing. And she started checking it out and I didn't say a word to her because I didn't know what to say. And then she just it just kept piling them up on the other side. I was expecting someone to bag it for me <laughs> and people are waiting behind me and, you know, shunning me in German. And yeah. I had no idea. I, I started panicking. <laughs> so I kind of just, uh, gave the lady my, uh, American money that she gladly accepted. And I started throwing all the groceries in my shirt and I just ran them out <laughs> to my car and ran back in and loaded more in my shirt. And ran. I mean, just so many things like that where I had to, yeah. Learn like okay. Next time I need to bring my hockey bag in or yeah. something. <laughs> Trial by fire. That's crazy. So uh, how how did? It's a different game there too, right? You're a yeah. you were a mucker a little bit here. You're getting you're picking up what, what you got seventy. You're averaging seventy minutes in penalties a year. Yeah. In the U.S. and now you're in Germany where they don't really hit as much. Right. It's, it's a finesse game over there. It's a finesse game. It's bigger ice surface, you know, Olympic sized ice. So you have more room to to work and um so yeah, the skill levels definitely up there with their dynamics and stuff, but I did get suspended a few times because I would hit or it would be they I would get a penalty for hitting too hard, and that's what they would say. What? Yeah. So I did get some suspensions and um you know, I did have to miss a few games here and there, and it was due to hitting. 
too hard. Just a clean hit, but too hard. A clean hit, but too hard because I some kids just didn't expect it, you know. But <laughs> back with the Grizzlies, was that, kind of, was that kind of fun though to line up a guy that was just yeah, it head was. down trying to toe drag you and you just dig your shoulder into him? Yeah, it was. It was pretty fun. It, um, you know, the fans didn't even like it. I mean, not even your hometown, really? not even your hometown fans liked it. They didn't really like the physicality of things. Yeah. Um, so, you know, then I have to shift my game back to more of a dipsy doodle type way. Yeah. And so the toe drags and the heel drags and everything else is more common over there, you know? Do it doing that over here. You just you're gonna <laughs> you get ran over. You're gonna eat somebody's shoulder. Yeah, yeah. I remember uh, Evan Stofflet showed. I, I've got this picture. It, sh- it shows up. I have a video screen that just shows all these different pictures I've taken over the years or had or whatever at my house. And every once in a while, this picture will show up of Evan. And I I want to say he was playing in. Oh, I can't even remember Germany or it wasn't Scotland yet. But anyway, he's over in Europe and. Uh, they something happens in front of the net and he grabs a guy, a guy by the face and pushes him down on the ice and i think he gets suspended for it and, and that picture made the paper because now they're <laughs> like what a goon right his hometown yeah or the town that he's playing for is just basically mad at evan and evan's like that's that's like 90 percent of the plays as the defenseman in the u.s like somebody gets it in your goalie's face you grab them by the face and throw them on the ice like yeah that's just how it is and now he's sitting in the stands suspended in his own his own fans are kind of booing him a little bit for being too aggressive. Yeah. So. Yeah, your own fans would if you were a little too aggressive. They, you know, they would boo you or they'd talk to you after the game. Like, why did you do that? And I was like, D- you know, do what? <laughs> yeah. like, I, I just, that was a clean check, man. That kid had his head down. Yeah. Um, but, you know, sometimes the kid would, wouldn't get up. And that's kind of when it was <laughs> like, I, yeah. don't, I don't mean it didn't mean to hurt you. It's just. You know, you you had your head down and you were coming right through the slot. So yeah, sorry. <laughs> Maybe German on my passport, but I still play North American hockey. Yeah, and that, a lot of teams looked for the dual uh, citizens over there because you kind of, you know, you had that extra import, but you could right. claim them as a German and yeah. stuff. So um, I'm not sure the amount of years, but a lot of players ended up living over there for a certain amount of time because if you lived over there a certain amount of time, you would end up getting your German pass. Oh yeah. So. Um, I know that there's still some friends of mine over there from Canada that still live there. Yep. Um, kind of just fell in love with it, and now they're more German than they are Canadian. So. Yeah, <laughs> I've, I've got the same thing with a couple goalies that I know that uh, tried, that played for the Grizzlies or whatever, and then ended up over there, and then ended up just loving it there or marrying a girl there, and then the, it added five years to their hockey career that they would have normally had because they became citizens, and mm-hmm. and then they never came back. Yeah. And they just, you know, marry. Well, and that's our trap too here, right? We get guys that come to Utah, marry a Utah girl, and then they just stay here and play hockey. So that's interesting. Um, Did that help you with your game though? Like playing in Germany, now you're a way better stick handler and you have better moves because you played in that league? Yeah, it definitely helped out my skating and my uh, stick handling ability and stuff. That was more of my strong suit was my puck handling ability and shooting. But it definitely helped my skating because you had to you had to move your feet a lot more and um, get up and down the ice quicker. Just more more surface to cover. Um, so yeah, that definitely helped um, on that side of things. But after you know, it was crazy because Hanover and the league in Germany, you pay you play half the games that you do with the Grizzlies or Oklahoma City. I think you only play like 35 games in a season. Yeah. So you play like on a Friday and a Sunday. You can count on that every week. And so a lot of the practices through the week are just flow drills, you know, um, tape to tape passes, a lot of power play work, and, uh, you know, a lot of time off to go to their saunas and oh, steam yeah. rooms and kind of – they're they're big about relaxing over there. There's not a rat race. <laughs> yeah, that sounds way better. And at this time, you've got to have – you've been banged up for from the OHL and the East Coast League and the Central League. Mm-hmm. So you've got to have things that this is just helping, like nagging little injuries that you've never really been able to recover from. And now you're in Germany where you, you don't hit a lot and you get to hit the sauna. Yeah. Yeah, I, I went over there kind of a little banged up, so I was able to recoup a bit. And um, definitely the game, like, toned down in terms of the physicality. So I could see myself staying over there for, you know, a solid decade yeah. if things, like, worked out. And there was 
I had some offers to go to the DEL. Um, I just, I just knew if I went to the DEL, I wasn't going to play as much, and I wanted to play. That was my big thing. So I stuck in the second league because I knew I was going to, you know, put up some good numbers. I was going to play on the first line. You know, get all the PP time, and the the fan base over there is just crazy. Like they sell out every game, and they're everyone comes in with jerseys on and you know they're singing they're singing chanting fire in the stands it was just really cool to play in front of that and i wanted to play in front of that i didn't want to play for a team where i was in and out of the lineup right Um, what what, is the money a lot better in the del than it is in it's actually it's actually not unless you're a top you know six forward or top four d but you know, because I had some offers in the DEL, but they were actually less than what I would have got paid in the second wow, league. Really? So it was another reason I chose to stay in the second league. Um, okay, I didn't know that. I see. I honestly don't know. I only know from a few guys, and I know goalies that it would go over there and make more money than they would have if they would have stayed here and played in the NHL. Yeah, I know. As that, a second guy, yeah, in the DEL, there's you know some of their top imports are making a considerable amount of money. Yeah. But then they have you know 19 and 20 year old guys that kind of fill out the rest of the roster. In the, in the fourth line positions and stuff and i know they were making like less than 20 grand a year oh wow and so so you've got guys making six you got five six hundred thousand dollar guys and you got twenty thousand dollar guys oh yeah sure wow i had no idea yeah so. I, just, I, I i know it's that way now i just didn't know it was that way then like i the money got a lot tighter and since the last since the nhl changed mm-hmm. it seems like the money in europe got less and less but yeah, it wasn't. And then the only reason I left Hanover was because the fourth year they ended up um, going through a bankruptcy. Oh, and so that's kind of what got me sh- had to shift out of there again. But uh, and where did you go after that? Last year, back here with the Grizzlies. So I, I want to talk about that year. I I didn't know that. I th- I thought the only reason you came back was your dad. I I wasn't sure about that. So mm-hmm. um, okay, so the that team's folding. When do you find out about what's going on with your dad? So I was about to go back to Germany again um, in August to a different team in, uh, called the Weisswasser Whitewater in the kind of by Dresden, the east part of Germany. So I go over there, and I'm only there maybe a month and a half or so before I got a phone call from my mom, and she just, you know, said I need to talk to you about something. And kind of long story short, she said, you know, your your father has cancer, you know, how bad well, really bad, you know, and stage four, uh, melanoma. Yeah. And from that point, I just talked to my GM in, in, in Whitewater and they're really cool about just letting me go. Um, and yeah, I caught the next plane out of there to come home and kind of just did that. And I, I still wanted to play because I needed to do something. And so that's when I jumped on uh, with the Utah Grizzlies again, Tim Branham being the coach. And I don't know if they're affiliated at that time, but kind of just worked my way in with that with the organization again. They're they're they've always been great to me. Yeah. And, um, did you reach out yeah. to them, or did they reach out to you? Like, do you remember? Um, I don't remember. I might I might have reached out to them. I guess it doesn't really matter. I, I just remember. I was just wondering because I thought it was such a cool move. Yeah. And I I didn't know how it came about. I just remember all of a sudden, like I'd heard about what was going on with your dad. And like I said, your dad is a, I don't know your image of his legacy here. And I, I don't know, um, like, I, it's different for you than it is for me, obviously. Mm-hmm. But like, he was just such a cool guy and he's always, he's always there. Mm-hmm. And like I said, if I went into A Accord, I just made sure I found him because he, like I said, he was always there. He's always at work. He was always happy. He always had, and he would just just tell you cool stories or whatever. But he was just such a huge supporter and friend of hockey here. Yeah. And so it's it's just one of those. It's it just sucks when it happens to anybody. Yeah. But one of those guys that you just loved having around. And when I heard you were coming back to play here and be here during that thing, I was just like, man, that's so that's what an opportunity and the olive branch or whatever that was like it was just a cool thing for it to work out so i was i was glad to hear that you got to come back yeah so how was that for you um yeah it was tough for sure um my parents were living in west valley at the time so after practices and stuff i just jet over to my parents house and 
and be there and help where I could and stuff. And as his, uh, you know, condition worsened, you know, I ended up just staying, staying nights there with him in the front room, even though we had a game the next day or something, just kind of hanging out, you know, spending as much time as I could. And it's kind of cool that last, you know, the last season with the Grizzlies, the whole, my whole career, I had the number like number six or number 13. That last year I changed it to 62, you know, his birth year. Kind of cool to, to play with that on my back. And, um, yeah, it was, it was pretty special to do that. And actually I had one of my best seasons ever my last year with the Grizzlies. I, in January, um, our, my assistant coach came to me and said, you might get called up, you know, to the American League. You know, you had an incredible January, so, you know, just keep keep it up. You, you, you might get called up. And deep down, I didn't want to go anywhere. Yeah. You know, that was months before my dad left us. But it was pretty cool because, you know, I got interviewed by the Salt Lake Tribune, and they were just saying, you know, how have you managed to keep it together during this time and stuff? And I don't know. I think that's the cool thing about hockey. It's able to definitely ground you and keep your. It's therapy. It's therapy. Keep your oh. keep you focused and um, definitely couldn't have done it without hockey. So yeah, that's that's a cool thing about sports and hockey is. Uh, it's not unique in this way, but it's it's it seems like it's definitely more so that that team is your family and you know you go through stuff like this in your life it seems like you get a lot of support from guys on the team and fans and stuff like that so yeah the grizzlies were awesome they let me throw a big charity event there um, one of the games and was able to raise some money for my dad and you know they even donated like one of the chuck and pucks you know to help out and no they've been so super cool i mean if i if I could have had it my way, I, w- I would have loved to just play there for 10 seasons and right. just stick with it. But I know it's not always doesn't work out that way, but I'm glad I was able to come back and, and play one final year there. And it just at that time after losing my dad and, um, you know, I just, just recently got married that year too. So there's, there's just a lot of uh, pieces of the puzzle that kind of made me go, huh, oh, maybe I I'll turn my, um, attention elsewhere and start doing something different with my life so it was a good transition yeah so well i'm just i'm glad that the the grizzlies were supportive and i'm I'm glad you got to be here for a lot of people just have regrets mm-hmm. right they were somewhere else and they didn't get to see they didn't get to be with their family for that last time so i'm, I'm glad that worked out for you yeah and I'm, I'm sorry for the loss man he's like i said it, it's a it was a loss for all of us he was such an amazing person Thanks. Yeah, he, no, he was definitely good. Him and my mom both. My mom doesn't get enough credit because she's always behind the scenes doing, uh, doing everything. But with my dad, he, you know, worked for 17 years at the Acord, yep. practice, the practice facility for the Grizz, and you know, always had that back door cracked for people that knew it just to go back there, want to say hi, worked the Grizzly room, took pride in his ice and the Zamboni and stuff. And he even worked here up at the Galvin Center just up the road. And if you ever go there, his face is plastered on the front of the Zamboni. And he's I didn't he, know he's that. considered the ice man. So well, I had no when idea. you go there Christmas time, skating an outdoor, you know, I'm gonna go you'll check see that his out. face on the front of Zam. I'm so. going to check that out for sure. <laughs> we'll make sure that we post a picture of that on, the, on our uh, Puck Report Facebook page too so other people can see that. So DJ... You talked about switching focus. So what what do you do now? What's going on with you now? Yeah, so I went from what I thought was a hard job playing hockey to even a harder job, which is a stay-at-home dad. Yeah? So I have two two little girls, four and one. Um, awesome. Yeah, they're my life for sure. Uh, but, yeah, they give me a run for my money. <laughs> my four-year-old's already smarter than I am. So. Oh, no. <laughs> Yeah, I I know the feeling. I had a daughter that was the same way. Started putting me in my place right away. Yeah. So, and your wife sells real estate. Yeah, she's a real estate broker. Nice. Um, yeah, she's she kills it. She's been doing it since she was eighteen years old. So, you know, kudos to her. She allows me to stay home and take care of the kids, and she's out there, you know, getting deals done, making more deals, strumming up business. So constantly working, and you're uh, you look. I mean, you look bigger than ever. Yeah. In a, in a really fit way. Hope, hopefully a fit way. I do finish off, 
you know, my daughter's mac and cheese once in a while. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, are they playing hockey yet? No, they're not. Um, Is that in the plans? Do they have any interest in it? I haven't totally introduced them to it. I was thinking about with my four-year-old starting it. But uh, right now they're total gymnastics, ballet. Oh. So I'm at a gymnastics studio often and oh, dance man. studios often. Yeah. So a t- totally different uh, ball game there. But I wouldn't mind strapping the skates on her and just kind of seeing what she – because the women's game is growing too. Yeah. That's, that's really nice to see. Yeah, tons of – and there are, I mean, there's just as many scholarships for women are there as there are for men. Mm-hmm. And that seems to be like everybody's end goal, right? We want them to get a free ride to school because right. I, I, I didn't want to pay for it. Yeah. I couldn't pay for it. I'm a fireman. Yeah. So it's, <laughs> I, don't, I don't make enough money to pay for two kids to go to school. Yeah. So yeah, well, that's cool, man. And I I just can't thank you enough for, for taking the time and coming in. It's funny when, uh, when this podcast first came about mm-hmm. and they're like, okay, who are you going to interview? And I'm like, well, I'm going to interview Trevor, and I'm going to interview DJ, and I'm going to interview, you know, like your name was at the top of the list. Uh-huh. And then I'm like, man, I don't, I, I just kind of wanted to save you because it's, I, I knew you had some cool parts to your story. I didn't know how, how cool it would be, but I knew you had some cool parts to your story. And every week I'm like, I, I don't want to, you're like, my, you were my ace in the hole. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to use it yet. And then um, I was just, looking at some posts and stuff the other day and i'm like man i need to bring dj's not he's gonna be another guy that i don't just want in once like he you've got more to your story and we know you do those tons of fun stuff about germany i think it'd just be fun to bring like you and evan in yeah and and get more guys in here and just i just want to hear all these european stories and yeah learning to drive stick shifts and definitely have a lot of funny stories with germany and even in oklahoma city even with the grizzlies you know so yeah. much uh, fun stuff that you could just kind of look back on and oh yeah I got another one to tell you yeah but I want to hear I'd, them all. Lo- I'd love to come in again and sh- and share some more yeah I want to hear them all so uh, yeah I, I guess that's that's it we'll just have to bring you back and uh, and talk more about it and find out more what's going on I love that you're a stay at home dad I think that's awesome that's that, now that I look back that would have been my dream job yeah because I I've enjoyed raising my kids and and I'll everybody says it and you don't realize it but just enjoy it because it's over so fast yeah and next thing you know you're an empty nester and i definitely need my breaks too i my wife just let me go to alaska with a friend of mine fishing uh, fishing yeah nice. of course fishing <laughs> so we brought back a bunch of salmon and halibut and so i do get my my breaks too you so. still play hockey you know i'm still battling a little knee injury so mm-hmm. trying to get that and it's all post hockey stuff. It just takes time. It does. And so, I've skated here and there, and um, but I haven't put on the skates in over a year now. Wow! Um, so it's been a while. Wait, is your brother still playing? Yeah, he still plays on the men's league team. I'm not even sure which team he's on right now. But I'm not either. I haven't seen him for a while. So I think it was the Western Doors or the the Wings. Oh, the Wings are my team. So I don't know. Maybe he's on your team. It could be. <laughs> Maybe I just don't recognize him. <laughs> he's, he's, he's like me, but not as good. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I'm sure he's going to be happy that you said that. No, he's he 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 would beat me any in any type of arm wrestle or physicality. That's for sure. What? Yeah. Is he as yoked as you right now? Well, he just has like this brute young brother strength. Oh yeah. He was always the he was always the player that kind of would muck it up, and I would just score and. I would get the fame, you know, okay. the, over the intercom and stuff. But. It's funny you mentioned that. I was just, I had just listened to an interview. It was two weeks ago um, on a different podcast, a Navy Seals podcast, and the guy, one of the guy he was interviewing, was talking about how he, uh, you know, he's a Navy Seal and he's a jujitsu master, and he goes over and he does all this stuff and more, and then he comes home and his his little brother still just beats the crap out of him even though he's not like his little brother's never done any military at all he just knows how to beat up his older brother yeah it's just a, a gift i guess you get as yeah, a sibling me and nick have a you know we have a strong bond that way we don't really beat up on each other anymore but i don't he's not one kid i'd want to pick with you know pick on yeah no um, well he, neither he, of you guys he's I mean, just uh he's just a brute type kid you know and yeah he could do some damage if he wants i'd rather just stay on his good side <laughs> well it's it's always been known in in men's league that the you don't pick on the manics you don't pick on the gelettos as we used to call you yeah that works and then uh yeah there's just some brothers that you just don't pick on yeah one funny story when we played men's league together i was dancing through a bunch of guys and i forget what team it was but 
going past the last guy, he, he tried to lift my stick and missed and caught me in the face, and I started bleeding. I finished the play, ended up scoring, and then the guy, you know, come up to me and was kind of mouthing off to me. And I was bleeding everywhere, and out of left field, Nick comes and socks this guy <laughs> right in the face, drops him. Yeah. And I just kind of like, whoa, what was that? <laughs> so that's the type, you know, Nick is like, yeah. I'm going to stand up for my big bro, you know. And I was like, I'm not messing with Nick, you know. (laughs) You picked with the wrong guy, man. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah, and that's that's what I remember of Nick, too. All right, so if you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, you want to hear more stories about Utah hockey players and what's going on in Utah, it's super simple. Just text the word PUCK to 57500. Uh, just go to kslsports.com and look at podcasts. We have all kinds of cool sports podcasts right there. This one being the coolest one because it's about hockey. That's right. And that's it. DJ, thanks so much for coming Hey, in. thanks guys for having me. And that is the Utah Puck Report.